Well, just to get started with our, our message, I, I do have two questions for everyone this morning. Here's the first question. Um, have you already made your New Year's resolutions? How many of you have? Raise your hand. I know I have. <laughs> all right, all right. How, how many of you have already broken them? <laughs> all right. <laughs> New Year's resolutions, you know, can be alluring, like eating healthier, um, reading a few new books, um, maybe visiting with more people that you know often. For example, one of my New Year's resolutions last year was to, um, to, to cut out sugar in my diet and lose a little weight. But as you can see, <laughs> that didn't last very long. I'm a little more heftier <laughs> than I was last year. I believe there's grace for that. Uh, and, and sadly, for me, that grace um, is at work every Tuesday and Thursday as Pastor Keith and Arthur drags me to CrossFit. Um, it's, it's, it's been a real... <laughs> It's been a real thorn in my side, and I've prayed three times that the Lord would take it away. <laughs> but somehow, Pastor Keith, an author, reminds me that God's grace is sufficient gleefully and willingly. But it's true. It's true. There's enough grace to go around for all of us. And that's what this, this sermon is, is all about this morning. God's grace. Because Here's the thing. It's easy to go into the new year trusting in ourselves, putting our faith in ourselves and in our resolutions than relying on God. It's, it's easy to forget that grace provides us all that we need and gives us all that we have. Don't get me wrong. There, there's nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions. There's, there's nothing wrong with setting goals and, and having ambitions. That's a good thing. But the problem comes when we begin to put confidence in ourselves rather than boasting in God. This will sort of be our launching pad this morning for our sermon. And and we're looking at the, the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. Again, that's the 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. Our focus will be primarily on verses 5 through 10. But before we get into that, let me give you some context. By the time this, this, this letter is written, Paul has already established a relationship with the church in Corinth. Like many of the, the early churches, the church had been going through many challenges and complications, struggling with what it meant to live like family, particularly in circumstances that collided with their cultures and habits. But rather than focusing on these issues, this letter takes a different turn. Here, Paul spends a, a lot of time defending his own position as an apostle. And, and there's a reason for this. Earlier, he almost sarcastically mentions some super apostles who have claimed, have had these extravagant claims and are going around preaching a, a different gospel. From the context of this letter, it seems that these leaders were asserting themselves in ways that Paul was not. 
even encouraging many in Corinth to, to look at Paul in a lesser light. And so back in chapter 11, Paul begins to sort of boast as a way of exposing the, the foolishness, as he calls it, of boasting, the, the foolishness of pride, the foolishness of the ministries of these false apostles who are committing themselves and drawing away disciples in the worldly way. And Paul doesn't want that for the church. He doesn't want, he doesn't want them to be swayed by slick rhetoric and, and outward displays. He wants them to trust in God. So while boasting in his way may not be profitable, Paul believes it will serve a purpose to protect the church from subtle manipulation and self-sufficiency and to bring them back to the truth. Paul continues this boasting in the first verse of chapter 12, even to the point of sharing a story about a man who 14 years prior had been caught up to the third heaven. While some may have gloried in this, Paul approaches such boasting with deep hesitation, humbly distancing himself from the event using third-person language. But then something remarkable happens. In, in verse 5 and 6, Paul, Paul's tone shifts. And it's almost as if he's inviting us be, to look beyond the argument into, and into something much more significant. Take a look at verses 5 and 6 with me. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think of me more than he sees in me or hears from me. When it comes to boasting about strength, Paul could beat us all. Among all the apostles, he's the greatest. He's traveled farther, preached more, planted more churches, and written most of the New Testament. But the point here is, look, here is someone who's actually got something to boast about, who says, don't boast in your strength. Boast in your weakness. In a culture where, like ours now, power is valued over weakness, Paul's message is revolutionary. And this raises the question, what should we do about our weaknesses? What should we do about our weaknesses? Let's take a moment to pray and give thanks before we consider that further. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, Lord, we, we, we come before you this, mor this morning, in this new year, not, not strong, but weak. Lord, help us to see what you would have us do about our weaknesses here this morning. Help us to see you more clearly than ever before Help us to grow in our, in our knowledge and love of you. Help us to grow in your grace. And Father, I pray 
that with these feeble words this morning, Lord, you would do a work that only you can do. Open eyes, open ears, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so we're asking ourselves, what should be done about weakness, about our weaknesses? And I can only think of four possible answers. First, you could deny your weaknesses. You could try to ignore it or hide it. You could pretend like it's, it's not there and, and push it to the side. The problem with this is, of course, is that it's not honest. Denying your weakness is not honest. It doesn't accurately reflect our experience or the reality of our lives. We live in a broken world. We are weak. Social media is a great example of this. With, with so many people curating their lives to kind of fit a certain image or narrative that they want others to see. We, we don't want to do that. We want to close the gap between how we appear and, and who we really are. We want to be real. We want to be real because that's where Jesus meets us. It, it was Jesus who said, something I need to remember, it's not the healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Are you weak? Jesus meets you in your weakness. Second, we could seek to fix our weakness in our own strength. But by weakness here, I'm referring to hardships and limitations, painful circumstances and difficulties. You can try to, to, to fix these things without asking for help. But, but two things will happen. First, you will become exhausted and discouraged, crushed by the weight of expectations you were never meant to carry. And here's the other problem. You will still be weak. That's the inescapable truth. It may not be something we like to admit, but it's, it's a fact that we are. And because we hate to admit that we're weak, we often don't ask for help. We try to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And in our pride and self-sufficiency, we live as if God only helps those who help themselves. Third, we can complain about our weaknesses. We could grumble and, and, and groan about how unfair life is, bemoan our misery and, and wallow in despair and hopelessness. But that won't get us very far. What do you think when we are wallowing in our weaknesses? What do you think we are believing in those moments? We're believing that our weaknesses are the end of the story. We're believing that God doesn't care, that he's not listening, and that he's not here to help us. There's good news, however. There's another option. You could boast about your weakness. Think with me for a moment about Paul's life. He faced imprisonment, torture, shipwreck, 
and persecution. He dealt with anxieties, illnesses, and pressures from all sides. In, in Acts chapter 15, a, a disagreement with Barnabas over his treatment of John Mark led to them parting ways. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8, Paul writes that he was so, so utterly burdened beyond his strength that he despaired of life itself. This is not to mention what he is going through while he's writing this letter. In Corinth, he's being maligned, falsely accused, misrepresented, and betrayed. The people he care about the most have come to believe lies about him, and they're turning away from the gospel. These are just a few things that he's facing in his life and ministry. But there's also something else. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations of thorn, was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times... I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Paul's vision, 14 years prior, was so incredible that he needed something to humble him. In this case, it was a thorn in the flesh. What was that thorn? Who knows? Some popular theories include temptation, a chronic eye problem, migraines, and even a speech disability. Some even say the thorn refers to a person, maybe some of these super apostles. Or Alexander the coppersmith, who Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4.14 dealt him a great deal of harm. No one can say for sure what the thorn in Paul's flesh was, but it was a source of pain in his life. The text also says that this thorn was a messenger of Satan. This, this phrase paints a very vivid picture of what Paul was going through. Satan was using Paul's weakness to harass him. We know what that's like, don't we? In our weakness, Satan tells us lies like, God doesn't love you. Why are you praying? It's not going to make a difference. We've heard such whisperings before such lies. And that was Paul's experience too. So what do we see when we put this all together? We see someone who, like us, was weak and broken in every way. But Paul's response to his weakness was not to, uh, was not self-denial, was not denial of self-reliance, but rather boasting. Was Paul trying to downplay his weaknesses? Of course not. We see that here in our text. He, he pleaded with God three times to have it removed. L Lord, I hate this. Lord, please take this pain away. Lord, why is this happening to me? I, I think it's good for us to ask ourselves what would have happened to Paul if God had taken away the thorn in his flesh. Well, most likely, the very pride that God was keeping him from would have overcome him, wouldn't it? And instead of boasting about his weaknesses, he would have boasted about himself. 
Instead of focusing on the, the, the power of Jesus and the work and the glory of his grace, Paul would have focused on himself. Sometimes what we think is a good thing can actually lead us further away from God. Let me repeat that. Sometimes the things that we believe are good can lead us further away from God. There's a scripture that comes to mind. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. But we all can identify with Paul here, right? We all, to some degree or another, struggle with some sort of thorn or weakness that daily, weekly, or even monthly presses in on us, sapping our strength and making everything harder. But here's the lesson that Paul learned, and one for us as well. Don't deny your weakness. Don't try to fix your weakness in your own strength, boasting your weakness. What does that mean? It it means getting out of the way of yourselves, out of the way of pride, so that God's strength can be more clearly seen in us. It means to to recognize that God can be glorified in our stories, regardless of the pain or difficulty we are experiencing. It means trusting in his promises, believing in his power, and resting in his faithfulness. To put it simply, boasting about our weaknesses is really celebrating Jesus and believing that his grace is sufficient. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong." We are always in need of God's grace. Always. We need God's grace to keep us from pride, and we need God's grace to keep us from despair. We need his grace in the good times to remember that it is only by his power that we are successful. And we need his grace in the bad times to see the hope at hand that he's not abandoned us. The word grace in our text means kindness or favor. It is a gift that we take hold of by faith and live by. It's not something we can earn or could ever deserve, but rather it's something that God gives to us, not only for our own enjoyment, but for his greater glory. Paul's thorn wasn't given to him without a purpose, and neither is yours or mine. Our weaknesses are intended to keep us humble and dependent on the Spirit's power, to drive us away from ourselves, to to shape us, and to show us the sufficiency of God's grace in all things. You see, God has a purpose for our weaknesses, but, but we're so quick to want to escape life's challenges and rid ourselves of our weakness. What if, what if, 
one of God's greatest gifts in your life right now is the very thing you want him to take away. What if you were meant to boast about the limitation you hate the most and see it as one of God's greatest blessings in your life? That's something to really think about because most times there's a fundamental difference between what God values and what we value. We value success, education, wealth, and and accomplishments. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But God values humility and weakness. This is how his love and power is made known and is how we're saved. One of the ways that I've come to know God's grace is sufficient is is right here through the people in this room here at New City. When I've been at my lowest, struggling with feelings of inadequacy and and self-hatred, there have been people along the way who have reminded me of a gospel truth, who have told me that I am loved and accepted and that my weaknesses does not disqualify me from God's love. These people have been agents of grace in my life, reminding me of the grace that have been, that have been given to me and that the grace that God has is enough for me today. What does it mean that God's grace is enough? This is what I've learned. Practically, it means that God's power and presence is enough to get us through whatever season of life we're in. It means that he will provide strength, comfort, and hope even in our darkest moments. Are you going through a rough patch in your marriage? God's grace is enough. Are you struggling with a sickness? God's grace is enough. Do you feel inadequacy, um, inadequate and lack confidence? God's grace is enough. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who, he has, who has been given to us. Endurance. Endurance, character, hope, and the Holy Spirit reminding us of God's love are all evidence that God's grace is enough, that his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. What do you see when you look back at your life in 2022? I'll tell you what I see in my own life. I see God's grace and faithfulness. I'm not just talking about in the good times. I'm talking about in the bad times as well. I see how he has worked all things together for my good, even when I didn't understand why things had to work the way they did. And and, and here I stand today, and here you stand today, having gone through everything you've gone through, only because God's grace is enough. If you would entertain me, here we are right now, as it were, across this Jordan. 
because God made a way. When we remember this, then we can take heart. We can choose not to be shaken by the trials of this world because our hope is founded on something far greater than ourselves. The knowledge that we have a gracious heavenly father who loves us and will carry us through. Israel was similarly reminded of this in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says here. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and grow weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is a beautiful and powerful reminder that when we feel tired, run down, and overwhelmed by our weaknesses, we can put our faith in the Lord who renews our strength. To wait on him with expectation, to believe that he will not give us a stone when we have asked for bread. Sure, sure, God's response might not be what we expect or what we have asked for. But, but we can rest assured that because he knows us better than we know ourselves, he knows what's best for us and what will not hold with us what is in our ultimate good. However, when we think about grace, we must be careful of assuming that it is something that God gives to us apart from himself. Grace is a gift, but God is not only the giver, he is the gift. God graces us with himself. Paul knew this well when he was traveling on the road to Damascus. He, he was struck down blinded by a brilliant light, and he heard the Lord's voice say, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? Saul was not looking for God when, when this happened to him. He was on his way to do harm to those who followed Jesus. But it was in this moment that Paul encountered the grace of God, and his life was forever changed. When Jesus came to Paul on the road to Damascus, grace came to Paul. Here at New City, we, we have just wrapped up our Avid series, and we were reminded how grace came to us. Born in the manger in the form of a baby, weak and helpless, Jesus could have come as a, a mighty king, displaying all of his power and glory, but he chose to come in weakness. He, he chose to identify with us so that we might have the comfort of knowing that he can understand us and even bear the burdens of our own weaknesses. He ate, slept, and walked the same earth we do so that, we might, so that he might be a companion with us in suffering. 
He did not come to be served, but to serve. He did not come to boast, but to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. It is in this weakness that Jesus' power is displayed. It is in the clothing of himself in weak humanity. In weak humanity. In an enduring, and in the enduring of the wrath of God, that the cross, that God, that in the cross, God's power to save sinners is perfected. Now, if that were all to tell, if, if, if Jesus merely died on the cross and that was the end of the story, everything that was set up to this point is pointless. But that isn't the end of the story. On the third day, Jesus rose again, conquering death and proving that his grace is enough for all who believe. And so how do we respond? How do we respond to this incredible gift of grace for the unbeliever. Recognize your weakness and that without the grace of God, you are lost and unable to save yourself. Know that it is in the surrender of your strength and in the admission of your weakness that salvation is found. To, to know the grace of God, you don't have to be perfect or have it all together. Embrace your weakness through repentance. Turn from your sin. Believe the gospel and incline your heart to him whose power is perfect. Perfect to save you. For, for the believer, the same is true of us. We also must repent and believe the gospel. We, we need to remember that the same grace that saves us is also the same grace that sustains us and keeps us going. Repent of pride and the tendency to rely on yourself instead of trusting in God. Remember that God's grace is sufficient for you. Every, every blessing that we have comes from him. He is the source of our joy, our, our hope, our peace and comfort. Most of all, he's the source of our strength. In closing, I'd like to quickly touch on a few ways we can practically uh, walk in the grace of God in this new year. And the first thing that immediately comes to mind is how we care for people who are weak and hurting. Showing grace to people who are hurting and who are weak, is being willing to do the hard things and go the extra mile. It's not about giving someone a one-time pat on the back. It's about being present and, and willing to listen to them when they face hard times. It's about doing life with people, even when it's uncomfortable, making sure that they know that they have not been forgotten. This is the reason why I, I love New City in our, in our missional communities uh, here at New City because it's in these, these groups that we get to know each other and, and, and help each other in our most intimate needs. And listen, the, the truth is that none of us have it all figured out. We are weak 
and we are in need of grace every day. So it's important for us to share, to share our weaknesses, our struggles, and our burdens so that we can encourage one another and remember that God's grace is sufficient. If you're not already involved in the missional community, I strongly encourage you to do so. Because this is where we can truly minister to one another's needs in a grace-filled way. Another way we can give grace to others is through our words and actions. Our words have the power to heal or hurt. So we should be intentional about speaking kindly and showing love and and compassion in every way. When people are weak, our aim should be to be gentle, encouraging, and comforting. Our actions should also be grace-filled. That means being slow to anger, patient, and forgiving of others just as Jesus has forgiven us. Here's the point. How can we say that we are living in the grace of God if we don't extend the grace of God to others? Finally, we can give grace to others by speaking the truth in love. It's not enough to just speak kind words and and do nice things. We must also share the gospel message with people who need it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. People will, never, people will never come to see their weaknesses or see their weakness in need of grace unless we speak the truth of the gospel to them. We don't want, we don't want to offer a hope that depends on us. We don't want to uh, draw, people, draw people's attention to us rather than to God. We want people to depend on God, to depend on his power. We want them to rest on that, not us. I started out today's message by asking what we should do about our weakness. I hope the answer has become clear. We don't deny our weaknesses. We don't try to fix them in our own strength. Instead, we boast about our weaknesses, and we celebrate Jesus' power and grace in them. His power, his power, not yours or or mine is made perfect in weakness. And by his spirit, he will demonstrate that power as we live in light of what he's done. So let's resolve in all of our resolutions, let's resolve this new year to fix our eyes upon him and to go out in love to those around us with the good news of this transformative grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I thank you that when we were weak, when we were helpless, unable to save ourselves, at the right time, you came. You saved us, not because of anything we have done, but because of your own love for us. Help us to remember in our daily lives, and as we go, Help us remember that grace. Help us to extend that grace to others. Lord, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. Help us to see you clearly in everything we do. Help us to go to this new year knowing that your grace is enough. In Jesus' name, amen.